On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Deep underground, the Jelly Belly Factory, Bibi is in her secret laboratory creating the weird and wild flavors of Bean Boozled. I've done it again. Is it cappuccino or liver and onions? <laughs> Dare to compare. <laughs> Bean Boozled, 6th edition. Are you brave enough? Mile well, High Pundit Podcast, uh, listening to episode three here, uh, coming at you here. It is Thursday night, getting into this recording uh, a little bit later than, than usual. So, uh, but but it's been you know pretty good weeks and big things happening for sure. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in my good friend Jared here uh, as per usual. Jared, welcome. Hey man, how's it going? Do you have a good fourth? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was uh, it, it was pretty good, uh, really good fourth. You know, one of those where it definitely uh, <clears throat> not as not as crazy, I could say, in you know uh, past years, but definitely good. You know, just spending time with the family and you know during all this, it's really nice to to you know reconnect. I was able to reconnect with my mom and, and my dad and my brother. So uh, really good. Just just spending some good uh, QT with the fam. Uh, how about yours? Uh, it was interesting. Uh, we had a we had my grandma's funeral uh, on the third. She passed away after uh, open heart surgery. So uh, we had that on the third, and then um, so then. The fourth, uh, I, we just kind of kept it really low key. My most of my family's down in the springs. Um, I just came back up here to hang out with the, uh, with the fiance. We we went out and uh, we went and played mini golf. We've done that for the last two years. Uh, we on the fourth of July nice. we go out and just play mini golf, and then uh, after that we liked. what's that? Always liked mini golf. It's just so much fun. It's just so relaxing, and there's no rush too. That's the best part is that there's just no rush. Like like yeah, when you're playing yeah. actual golf, you you have like a little bit of a rush to it. Like you hit a bad you hit a bad tee shot, you're you're scrambling, you're trying to get back into it, and then but with mini golf, it's just you just hit the ball, and you just, and when you're just with, with when you're with someone you know, and you're and you really just have a lot of fun with it. Just it just makes it easier because you're you're not you're not stressed out. You're not playing with a bunch of your friends, and you're taking it a little bit seriously because you guys are competing against each other. Yeah, just one of those pressure situate you know have fun with it and yeah that 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 sounds awesome yeah sounds like a lot of fun yeah and then uh we went down to uh the coorsfield parking lot because you know we've been at coorsfield pretty much every year for the last three years we three years we've been together so we just went down to coors and just sat and watched the fireworks down by coors and it it was cool man we and we just hung out and just a really low-key fourth of july not as not, not as crazy as we have been in the past that's for sure yeah, for sure. You know, it's good to get back to the roots a lot when, when you're doing with, especially you know, with everything going on. It, it's good to have 
it's good to have a sense of, of tradition, you know, like, like with you guys going to Rockies games, uh, I know I'd been to a couple uh, as far as my fourths are concerned. Um, just so much fun, though. You, you know, you get the fireworks, you get everything as far as, uh, you know, just super fun atmosphere. Um, are, were there any like, uh, did you guys have like any like other like uh, fourth, fourth of July traditions? That you guys would get into we really don't like ours is just like mini golfing usually we just go mini golfing then usually we'd have to like work a rockies game or something and then we just end up being at coors all night and getting to watch the fireworks there but like i i remember growing up on the fourth we would usually go down to sky Sox games and we'd go check out the the fireworks display down there too yeah yeah they always put on a good one too as far as the springs goes there's a couple places we always went to we always saw the ones off garden of the gods uh that's what we would do usually um just super close to home and and, and was, another thing good. that you could do down in the springs too is you go sit up on gold camp and you can see everything oh yeah, yeah just hit the whole city too uh there's actually a spot like up by my house it, it, it's like a little like little dirt road kind of pull off type type situation but you get up there and you know we're, we're more on that western side so you can see just like the entirety of the city and uh this year we actually we went up there and uh it was like you know 11 p.m people were still you know shooting off fireworks like people were just going uh crazy with it in the springs and we were seeing just you know all these different areas of the city light up with fireworks and it was really cool to see did, did a bunch of people just go up to like Wyoming or like down to like New Mexico and, and just go buy like a year's supply worth of fireworks and fire them off over like a three day span? I, I swear it sounded like a war zone anywhere I went. It was pretty crazy. Uh, and I, I guess, yeah, it, it, Wyoming's always been, you know, one of those states. It's where it's where I go just being from Fort Collins. You know, we would always go up to Wyoming to get fireworks. I still have. Uh, a lot of those just kind of sitting in in my closet up here uh <laughs> but <laughs> i wouldn't exactly um, say that out loud but you know uh, i mean it's it's one of those things where you know they're really old and you know they've just been sitting in that closet like it's just it's, you know one of those things where uh yeah just you know just traditions as far as that goes um and I will say, like, in it was kind of weird this year because, like, we had a, we had a huge fire ban in Colorado, so they were saying no fireworks and none of that. But no matter where you looked, especially with nobody doing fireworks, like, no, like, true, like, city, like, 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 not a bunch of like cities were actually doing fireworks, and to see just a bunch of fireworks lit off by people just in the in the housing areas and like in like the residential areas, it was just it was actually really cool to see just like a bunch of people come together and just shoot off fireworks and just really enjoy their Fourth of July. Yeah, it's got to be because of the situation. You know, everyone's got to come together, and uh, you know, it's just that sense of pride, that sense of unity. Uh, really good stuff. So, and I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm I I know you've seen this, that Mahomes deal, that is insane. Yeah, you know, and three million over over 10 years i mean just ridiculous how much money how much money patrick Mo- yeah he's I, he's making <laughs> he's making boogoo money like and i was looking it up um, a little bit earlier he's making more 
than Trout, Arenado, and McDavid combined per game. It, it's just it, it's insane to me. Oh, and, wow. And 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 those are three pretty prominent athletes across three three sports. I mean, you got Mahomes obviously with the Chiefs, Trout with the Los Angeles Angels, Arenado with with the Rockies, and McDavid uh, Connor McDavid with the Edmonton Oilers. These are all premier players at their positions and in their sports. But my my concern with Mahomes is like, and and we'll get into this a little bit later, is that he's only he's only played three years, and well, really, it's been two full seasons plus one game that he played yeah. when, he, when he stepped in for. I don't remember who the Chiefs quarterback was at the time. I don't think it was Alex LA, Smith. It was Alex Smith? Yeah, he okay. he stepped in for Alex Smith. That was the last game of the season against us, actually. Oh. Um. I I think we ended up losing that game. We did. It was close it was close i remember and yeah and like in, in that game i mean he was he was 22 and of 35 for 284 yards with with a with one pick and no touchdowns so I'm, and we contained him kind of i mean he was a rookie you know he came on first first time ever but uh, you know then he had an and <laughs> It just kind of took off with all the talent that that he ended up getting. Hopefully, that's the same, same thing, same uh, same sort of mentality that we're looking at here with Drew Locke. Yep, and it, if if he can get it going like Mahomes has it, I mean, I mean, let's just say it, like what you say now, Mahomes. I mean, uh, Drew Locke doesn't have the same running acumen that Mahomes has. And, oh no! And, and they've set that offense up to really utilize his his legs and let him be creative in, in the pocket oh. and outside of it. Of course, of course, and and I'm not saying that you know Mahomes is much more of a mobile quarterback, and and you know if if Drew Lock was as transcendent of a talent, he he would have been you know first round a uh, first round pick. Going to be very good. My, my point is is that the Broncos did kind of mimicked the Chiefs and how they surrounded Lock to his skill set with talent because mm-hmm. um, they they executed that to perfection with Mahomes, the speed and the spread and. They basically said, "Okay, we're going to get you know proven route runners and Jerry Judy, guys that can win 50-50 balls in Cortland Sutton, and you got two big body tight ends. That one of them, you know, spent a year with Locke as his college roommate. So uh, you got two pass friendly catching backs. They're basically just surrounding him with talent and playing to his strengths as a pocket passer. Yep." And and like I said, they're doing trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and and like I said, we're gonna get into that's gonna be our our main topic is this is the Mahomes deal today. Um, But before we get into that, we're uh, we want to wish a very belated. I guess it's only two days late, but a belated happy birthday to the first and longest tenure captain of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Joe Sackick. Uh, I don't remember how old he turned today, but he's also the current GM, and he is doing a masterful job, might I say? Yes, happy birthday, Joe. We. You know, everyone from you know Avalanche Avalanche fan standpoint, uh, you know we we just what he's done for the organization. You can't really put it in words. What What is your uh, favorite Josakic memory? If you have one, oh, I mean, I mean, so I don't know if I could really pick a favorite memory. <laughs> Just because I, I feel like it's one of those where his his literal presence just has done so much for the team. 
you know, regardless of where he was as, as a player, as a coach, as a GM, like, you know, as a coach took him to the playoffs that year, it was insane. You know, mm-hmm. every, every year he, you know, every time he switched things up with, with the organization, he stayed with the organization and just gave so much more as far as the knowledge that he picked up around the league and, and, you know, being one of those transcendent players, it's just been an absolute blessing to have someone like Joe Sackick be a part of, of your franchise is how I'd put it. Um, I'll have to think about like a certain moment and I'll definitely get back to you by definitely by the end of the episode for sure. Okay. That's on that. But. Cause I, I can tell you mine right offhand and it's, it's going to seem and when you hear it, you might be like, oh, I f- you, you kind of forget about this one. So it yeah, was, it go, was uh, go ahead. June 9th, 2001, Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals against the New Jersey Devils, Martin Brodeur, Peter Sikora, those guys. Um, yeah. It was in the second period, uh, the Avs got a power play, and... Um, Sackick picks up the puck on the ha- on the near side half wall, and I I, I remember Gary Thorne's call um, like like it was yesterday. I, I remember where I was. I was sitting in my house um, with my dad watching the game, and Sackick was fa- was was a uh, face up on Scott Stevens, who is a Hall of Fame defenseman. And, oh yeah, and uh, he he's face up on him, and he winds up and fakes a fakes a slap shot while he's on the power play. They're in a weird. They were in like an overload set, and he he fakes a slap shot and then takes a wrist shot and just burns Martin Brodeur over the glove to make it three nothing. And that might be one of the that that is the the one moment I remember so vividly about Joe Sackick and what really just made me fall in love with Joe Sackick, the player. And it, it wasn't because he was the best shooter. I mean, by no means was he ever the best shooter on the apps, but he was the most consistent player year in and year out, even up until he retired. He, he was that guy you could count on night in, night out to get something done production-wise. Always, like, just always, you know? Exactly. Um, also, just other other news here. The uh, the MLS is trying to get things back on track and and swing in a little bit as well. Did Did you catch any of the uh, the Inter Miami and the Orlando City FC game? You know, I, I did not. Uh, who ended up winning that one? So uh, Orlando City FC won in the seventh minute of stoppage time on a goal by Nani, and it, it was just such it was such a weird game. You, you could tell in the first sixty minutes of of the ninety minute match that they they were still trying to feel it out. They were still trying to get their legs back under and get back into the competitive swing because they haven't they they haven't faced real competition in eight months, and. So th- this was uh, kind of like a okay let's 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 get our legs under us let's get it going, and the the first ninety minutes it looked like great soccer it, it really did it was up and down, um, and then there was an injury in like the oh gosh I want to say it was like the sixty first sixty second minute and it just kind of it slowed the game down that's where you got that's where they got the extra seven minutes of stoppage time from was from the injury oh, wow um, seven minutes yeah and it's I mean. But to be expected just because of that super long hiatus in soccer being, you know, definitely not one of the most physically demanding sports, but it's up there as far as endurance wise, just, you know, I, I played soccer for, for a good part of my life and just, you know, the constant running, you can definitely have some, you know, so, some muscle strain, some injuries in, in that aspect, especially if you haven't been keeping in that regimen, because yeah. those guys are all just in, in double shape. Yeah, so. ex- exactly. And I mean, and no discredit to the 
to the athletes on the field. I mean, it, it was a phenomenal oh, no. game. Like it, it was, it was fun to watch. It was, it was nice to see real live sports again. No, nothing that's pre-recorded, nothing we've seen before, or that you can go find tapes of on YouTube or whatever. It was just good to see live sports back. And 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 the Rapids have a game coming up um, on Saturday. They play. I want to say they play Sporting Kansas City. So um, it, it's gonna be really interesting to see how. Um, this this tournament plays out because it's it's a it's very much a World Cup format where they have uh, groups they have Group A Group B Group C and Group D um, and so it's okay. gonna be really interesting just to see how this all plays out and how they end up getting to their eventual uh, MLS Cup, Cup champion and and if they even keep this 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 idea moving forward yeah yeah and the, and the Avs are kind of picking up steam again too as a franchise or you know just them getting back into that general conversation or relevancy for, for the MLS because for a while there it was pretty rough. And uh, but, the, one, of, one of the nice things is though, at, at least they have the one MLS cup. So we, we can at least do. lean on that and say, okay, we have, they we have do. climbed this mountain before. We just got to get back to doing it again. Very true. Very true. Um, but yeah, just, you know, more, some more good news as far as just the, the progression of, of sports among all this mess. So, and I want to circle back to the Mahomes deal. So, like like we stated, it's it's three hundred and five. It, it's up to three hundred and five million over the next ten years, which that is five hundred five hundred three five hundred three. Thank you. Um, yeah. Over the next ten years, which it's it just it, it's insane. Like that that's the richest contract in all of team sports. Um, it, it's not mm. the richest in um individual sports such as boxing, MMA, golf, um, things of that nature. But um, but does he deserve it though, Jared? <sighs> Does he actually deserve all that money? He, I, mm. it, that's, that's a tough one, even for me, because and this isn't even me being a Broncos fan, because quite frankly, I, I haven't watched the Broncos that much over the last, honestly, five to eight years. It's just because I've fallen out of watching football a lot. Um, my my concern is that he's really only he only, he really only has two years of work under his belt. I mean, he, he had his he had his MVP year. Well, what would be defined as an MVP year in two thousand eighteen? Where he started 16 games, went 12 and four, and threw 50 touchdowns. Yeah, I was just transcendent with him, Hill, Kelsey. That whole offense was firing the year. They were like the Broncos when they first got Peyton Manning. Basically. Exactly. I, I compare it to that kind of offensive explosion. Yeah, and and I mean, and, he, and no discredit, no discredit to to um, Patrick Mahomes. He is a great quarterback. My my main concern is is that is this going to hurt the Chiefs in the long run? Because what they did in these first uh, de facto two years, two years plus one game that he played against the Broncos in 2017, are they now hurting themselves for the future? Because now that they have their quarterback of the future, the present and the future lined up and solidified, is it gonna? Are they not gonna be able to sign the skilled players or the offensive line that they need to back him up? And, and here's the thing about that, Jared. I mean. Four, so the base contract, 450 mil over 10 years with incentives up to 503 million. So let's say that just with the type of player that Mahomes is, he reaches those incentives. You know, I'm not quite sure what those are, but let's say he reaches them. So that's, that's 500 mil going to one player. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs have never really been a big market team. I mean, just comparing, let's say, you know, Von Miller's deal for the Broncos. I mean, I remember when that happened, it was like, yeah, pay him. But then when the contract came out, we were like, this is going to cripple us. And look what happened. I mean, 
granted that was kind of you know, due to quarterback playing a whole bunch of other things too but the you know after you you commit that much money to to a player and by no means am i knocking the von miller deal i i by all means wanted to, to lock him up you know for however much it took just because he's a, he is one of those transcendent talents and you have to look at mahomes the same way but it's you know with that it's like okay they locked up mahomes and who else really they haven't signed kelsey they haven't signed you know i think they signed hill to like a mini extension but I mean, you know, the money's all going to Mahomes, and they're they're gonna have to go off homegrown, drafted talent if they're going to to be, you know, paying him that much money. And as far as you know, their defensive side of things, their defense was worse than than the Broncos, you know, was in my opinion, I think. And um, you know, if you look at both defenses healthy, they don't have any money to sign anyone. It, when you really start to get into all the other aspects of, of team of a team sport in football. Yeah, and and Von Miller signed Von Miller signed a hundred one hundred and fourteen point five million dollar contract over six years um, in yeah. two thousand before the two thousand sixteen seventeen season started, um, and 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 that's for a a skill position where you you need a, a quality edge rusher. And that's coming off of his Super Bowl, the Super Bowl win, and everything else that has happened in, for for Denver and everything else, and for the Broncos. Now, and and, and like you said, they haven't signed Kelsey, and uh, it. I, I don't. Is Tyreek Hill still with the Chiefs? I can't remember anymore. He he is. I mean, he had some that that legal those legal issues, but then he had like an injury he he played not a full year he wasn't nearly as effective this year and people could see that i mean but yeah you've got mahomes you don't have kelsey kelsey's gonna want big money because i believe he is the best tight end in the league hands down um at this point in time uh you know he's gonna want that you got yeah guys like you got big personalities like you know honey badger on their on their defensive side that probably want to get paid too um you know, it just kind of depends. Are those guys going to be more of a me type thing, or is it going to be a we? Yeah, and and and, and I, I will say the one of the saving graces that that happened for the Chiefs is that one of their premier wide receivers, Sammy Watkins, um, he he said he said, look, I'll take a pay cut if that means we're going to win more games. And they they he actually. Uh, he trimmed his salary for the 2020 season. He, he trimmed it down by 4.75 million, so mm. so that he can get more support around him. And, and the, this leads me into my next my, my next question that I'm, I'm going to pose not only to you but to everybody who, who's listening to this. To, are we going to start seeing a trend now in these in these major four sports like we've seen in hockey already happen? Are we going to see guys take team-friendly deals for the betterment and the success of the team over the money in the long term? No. I could see it happening both ways, and it, it really just depends on who that player is as a person and what their standing is with the, with the, with, with the franchise at the time. Uh, you, you know, to, like, I'll, I'll bring, you know, one example just you were talking about earlier with, with Nolan Arenado's case. You know, he, he took that deal and that, you know, he got paid all that money basically with the... Uh, 
with with the thought that you know the Rockies were going to actively pursue other people. Um, granted, you know, a little bit different market, but you know, the Rockies didn't have that extra money after, you know, giving all of it to, to basically Wade Davis and, and Arenado. And Brian it's Shaw like, they can't, you know, McGee, and, yeah. Shaw and, you know, the whole, that whole entire pitching staff. And it's like, at what point do, you know, you, you start to orchestrate these deals with these players, right? And these players kind of start supporting each other. Like you'll see, you know, bigger stars, you know, in their same boat, basically say, Hey, like, go get that bag, you know, go, go, go make your money. You know, it's payday. Uh, so you get this kind of hype around it. And I think that kind of leads to overinflated contracts sometimes. Um, and then, of course, it's always like, you know, that contract always has to beat out the precedent. So, you know, whatever Von Miller was paid that year, you know, Aaron Donald, you know, same, you know, same position. He's going to be making a lot more uh, in a couple years just because of of that contract and that, you know, extra money in the league. So uh, it, it gets to the point where you really just have to look at the team chemistry. Like the, uh, the flip side of this, I look at the Colorado Avalanche and – you know, even with, you know, guys like Nathan McKinnon saying, hey, you know, I know I'm one of the best players in the league, but I'm set financially. I don't need billions of dollars. You know, I, I'm good with just, you know, what I make and um, speaks to the overall pedigree of a player, too, because that player wants to chase championships, and, and, in my and, opinion. And, and that's why I want to bring keep it that up. culture. And that's why I want to bring it up because that, that's that's the first person I think of when, when I think of taking a team friendly deal and saying I want to win here. I don't care. I'll be fine. Like I'm I'm gonna make money off of endorsements. I'm gonna make money off of everything else. Like I I yeah. I, I would love to know how much CCM is paying Nathan McKinnon right now because they've got to be making millions off of that dude alone. And oh yeah. And 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 just the fact that McKinnon comes out open came out openly and said I'm gonna take a team friendly deal when my deal comes around because I want to win here and if that means that I can that we can get guys like Miko in at ten million dollars a year pretty much and yeah. we can sign Kale and we can sign Bowen Byram and we can sign Connor Timmons or we can go get someone free agency like they were trying to get Artemi Panarin last year and, and and that's what I mean is that if if you have a collection of guys who have the same goal why would you want to affect the team by not taking it to a team friendly deal yeah. you you look at also you know in the nfl like the patriots they've got you know they've got guys who love to come play for bill belichick just, just because it's bill belichick and that culture and they'll take a pay cut to go play for bill you know he, guys like josh gordon he's tried to revitalize you know uh things like that so it's definitely a, a culture thing too, as far as, you know, you have to build that right amount of, of want and, you know, also camaraderie and friendship and family uh, to really, to really just get the most out of both, both sides, because the player has to love playing for the organization. But I love the city he's living in. Really, he has really, to love his living situation. Yeah. And really random. So. I just started hailing really hard down here. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh wow! So, sorry if it gets caught on the mic. It, it's pinging off the windows right now. It, I mean, it just, no it just started coming down. So, um, I couldn't hear anything over here. So, oh, thank God, it, it, this thing is coming down. I'm like, like I heard a ping. I'm like, what the heck? And then now it's just it's pouring down hail now. But yeah, and and going back to what we're talking about, like this is 
this is everything that the Chiefs could want because you're going to see guys who want to come play for the Chiefs now. The, the, the question is, what are they going to sacrifice? Are they going to sacrifice defensive uh, quality players or are they going to sacrifice offensive quality players or try and build off of six, seven, eight round, or not, I don't think the draft goes that deep, but like fifth round, six round guys and free agents who will come in and take a prove it deal to try and win a championship. Tell you, there's there's a lot of heart with those undrafted guys. I mean, look at just the Broncos. We had Chris Harris, Philip Lindsay, just to name two. Shaq Barrett, who's making a lot of money with the Buccaneers right now after leading the league in sacks. You know, Shaq, Shaq Barrett's a CSU guy too. You know, undrafted in the league as well. There's a lot of. I mean, anytime you make it to the league, there's a lot of talent in those undrafted. You know, there's a lot of talent to be uh, to be looked at for sure. Uh, but it, it gets to the point where, do you really think the Chiefs are building a culture? Because, I mean, up until this point, everyone just kind of like, yeah, one and done in the playoffs, and then finally Mahomes wins the Super Bowl. Well, not finally, but you know, after after uh, you know, went twenty four and seven. And, and, and has a Super Bowl under his belt. Uh, by no means am I knocking that, but it's like, is it real? Can you really compare that to like a Patriots style culture or even a Broncos style culture where we have much more history on our side um, than the Chiefs? And it's like, yeah, I get the Patrick Mahomes thing, but what happens when defensive coordinators are going to, you know, I mean, they've got two years of tape on the guy. I'd like to think, you know, he's a wizard, but he's not invincible. No, he's not. And just just like how the book, once the book came out on Tim Tebow, and everyone, and Tebow was then immediately ineffective, just just like Colin Kaepernick became ineffective, and I, I and, and just like Cam Newton was once once the tape was out on Cam Newton, I think it was a week thirteen game against the Saints when is, is what the Broncos kind of based their defense off of and how they wanted to attack Cam Newton in Super Bowl fifty. Well, once the yeah. book comes out, you're 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 pretty much done for, and if 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 the book comes out on this guy, which it might be a little bit tougher because he he is a great athletic quarterback and oh, yeah and and if he can if he can create that opportunity for himself and create the open space that he needs to uh to to create plays and and to make plays out of nothing he he is going to consistently be a great quarterback well i agree with you i mean some of the stuff that just i've seen him see i've seen him do you know i was i was at one one Broncos Chiefs game in particular it was a Thursday night game, uh, but just the play where he where he switched the ball into the, his left hand and made the pass for the first down. Oh my god, that was in, insane! In that fourth quarter, uh, to see that live, and it was like, okay, you know, this guy, this guy's going to be really good. Um, the you, know, you can have a good guy on the team, but it's like, does that would that really translate? You know, will that cripple them? We'll have to wait and see. Um, and, and, as, as far as that goes, and, but. And, and going back to your undrafted guys, you know, one one of the greatest undrafted players I, I I still think of to this day was Rod Smith. Oh yeah, he, un, undrafted out of uh, Missouri Southern, and comes in and has a Hall of Fame career. And, I, I mean, he I mean, while he's not in the Hall of Fame exactly, he should is, be. He, he will be. He's I in, think he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the Broncos Ring of Honor. He's he's a three-time Pro Bowl or two-time Super Bowl champion. Like, I mean, th- his accolades go on and on and on. But I mean, the the guy for being undrafted, you come in with your chip on your shoulder, and I, I think that's what some guys just need. Well, yeah, one hundred percent. And how 
that Super Bowl, he's on top now. A lot of people have that chip on their shoulders still. And they're going to be gunning for him, you know. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how he handles that pressure w- with all this uh, especially lucrative contract. A lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If, if he... If he performs, if, if he keeps his, his averages up, so right now, like, he's he's thrown 76 touchdowns across two full seasons. So, I mean, I mean, the dude's throwing a lot of touchdowns. He's throwing an average of 38 touchdowns a year right now, which is well above league average. It's and, like Brady, Breeze. Oh, in his 40s. And, and, he's still, and he's still just chasing winning, which is awesome. And he he's, he's thrown, in his two full seasons, he's gotten over 4,000 yards each season. I mean, his twenty eighteen his twenty eighteen season where he, he was just he was an anomaly. He he threw for just about fifty one hundred yards and a completion percentage of sixty six percent. Here's the one really telling stat that I that I love about his his passing and that that I hope I I, I just hope for Broncos fans one and all that 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 Drew Lock can get to this point is his completion rating across his two of his seasons plus the extra season. Uh, plus the extra game, rather, is 60, 65.9% completion rating. So and he's he's attempted almost 1,100 passes, and he's completed 724 and, and, uh, of them. So in, in those games, he's completing just about a third of his passes, or two-thirds of his passes, and he's doing it in ways that we looked at when, when Michael Vick came in the league, and he was... He, he was a renegade. He was brand new. This was the coolest thing since sliced bread you, that you had seen. And yeah. now you're starting to see it with Patrick Mahomes where he's switching the ball to his left hand and throwing it left-handed just because he has to. He, he's adapting to the play. And, and that's what I think a lot of the pocket passers that have been before him or that we still see in some college in some college sets that, that don't have that adaptability, that don't have that creativity in their body to make that work. I, I, look, at, I, I look at Patrick Mahomes like I look at Steph Curry. He is extremely innovative and can manipulate the play to do what he needs to do. No, that's a great way to put it because, in my opinion, you know, Steph changed the game as far as NBA basketball is concerned. He is the spear front of that. You know, okay, we don't have to work through a traditional big. You know, we we don't need guys like LeBron. We can beat you spreading the ball, just draining you with with percentage threes, and you know, really just making you work, making you gassed. Um, and that, you know, with Steph and they built that culture there too, you know, that, that winning culture of, because they were one of the worst in the league before, before all that happened. Um, even, you know, in their Baron Davis days before they, before they got Curry and, and Curry was drafted as this unheralded undersized point guard, you know, it's that same chip mentality, um, where you know Steph just put in a lot of work, and uh, you know they worked with him and, and surrounded him with players that allowed him to showcase what he can do. And I'm super glad that they did because it's fun. You know, it was fun to watch him play. Hated watching him play against the Nuggets, but D- didn't we all? It changed. It changed basketball. You know, there's there's no other way to put it. And 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 we might see that shift now of what is now going to change. Um, American football as we know it, just as when Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin, Malkin, all those guys came into the NHL, it changed the way the NHL was. It, it went from a bruiser game to a skill game. It went from more of the 
what, what, what used to be known as a, of a North American style of play, which is hard-hitting, tough defense, lots of stick-checking, lots of stick-work, to a, a European style, which is more finesse, more skill-based. And, and, and that's been such, such a great addition for the game. It's drawn in so many new eyes, and it's gotten rid of the, the old-school look of, oh, we should just have fights to have fights. And th- this is this, this you're starting to see that influx of really skilled young players who can come in at 19, 20 years old and make an impact, a la Kale McCarr. Um, and and I'm I'm really interested, especially with Tua Tungavailoa coming into the league this year with the Dolphins. Is, is yeah. that going to make a difference in this league? And we're going to start to see the the move from the the what what has been the the, the good boys club of of of, of a traditional uh, one back two back offense. You're a lot of eye eye formation sets, a lot of shotgun, maybe a little bit of pistol, but more into the RPO, the triple option sets. Like you're really starting to see that the Chiefs started to employ last year, and it worked wonders on teams. Uh, and I mean, you know, even teams like the Broncos, every team has style of RPO in today's offenses. I mean, it's how, you know, all those offensive coordinators, those those big guys got their names, basically. You know, a lot of that came from Denver, too, with Shanahan. Uh, you know, Mike and Kyle, uh, both just proponents of that spread RPO style offense. And it, it, it has its track record. You know, it, it is very successful. <laughs> do, do you think the Broncos getting rid of Mike Shanahan might have been one of the worst coaching moves that we've made in Denver? Short-term, no. Long-term, yes. Okay. And, and I mean, uh, and, and, and luckily he's getting his just due. I, I've been saying this for years. Why is, why is Mike Shanahan not in the ring of fame as one of, one of the all-time great Broncos coaches? And, and now he's going to get inducted this year, which is well, or next year, sorry. It, it's going to be, it's well-deserved. I mean, the guy has two Super Bowl rings. He led some of the greatest offensive and defensive teams ever to come out of Denver. I mean, Terrell Davis, Clinton well, yeah. Curtis. Yeah, and, and, and to think of the quarterbacks he had, John Elway, I mean, Brian Greasy, which I, I, that was ugly bubby brister which was not even close to good either the kyle orton era which was uh, a mess and a half he had and jake Plummer too yeah that's right I, I always forget about Plummer. it's just he's he's that unforgettable he's always one of those just consistent guys you know just addeningly consistent <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was, uh, he was consistently inconsistent that was the frustrating part <laughs> it was yeah, like yeah, it, it well, was never good enough and it needed to yeah. be yeah, which, but, which just was frustrating, but you know Shanahan worked with that too because they made the playoffs under Plummer. I mean, and 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 it was and it's good for the Chiefs to to get the Super Bowl win under their belt, and it's really good. The the guy that I was really happy for when the Chiefs won was Andy Reid because that guy had had a legacy of failure just follow him wherever he went. And, I mean, yeah. in Philadelphia, he couldn't get past. I, I want to say it was like the the uh, the divisional round, or maybe he got to the the NFC Championship one time and got blown out. And took and he comes he take to the McNabb. Yeah, he take McNabb to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, he, he might have taken McNabb. Okay, so he might take McNabb, but then but so, then so he, he lost to Belichick. So he yes. lost to Belichick one year. So and and then and Belichick kind of consistently kept beating him, the Chiefs too for a long time. Mm-hmm. Finally got over that hump. Didn't well, he didn't actually, you know, didn't actually have to play them this year. And. and Played the Titans, and 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 I I think I'm I'm really starting to wonder if if the Belichick mojo is starting to go away a little bit, because you're you're starting to see a lot of teams who have historically been bad against the Patriots starting to put up really 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 good games. One one team I think of immediately is the Buffalo Bills. They they have never played well against the Patriots ever, and and now they're starting to put up really good games against them. 
Yeah, you think that system might be showing some cracks a little bit just after years of implementation? Uh, I, this this year is going to be the interesting year to see what, what happens because he's going to have to put in a little bit of a different offense because you knew what you had with Tom Brady. Tom Brady can make a play work. And that, that's, one of the greatest, that's one of the greatest attributes about Tom Brady is that he can make plays work just like Peyton Manning could, just like Brett Favre could. And yeah. Rodgers has that same Rebees mentality, you know, same type of guys, but can Stidham and Newton provide that same thing? You know, an injured Newton at that. And and you don't even. I mean, do we even know if Newton is fully a hundred percent? Like that is one thing that will that, that's going to be tested. If if he starts week one, um, we're going to find out if Newton is healthy and if he is worth the prove it deal that he's on, or if he's worth more than the prove it deal that he's on. Because if, if he comes out and just lays an egg, that's going to be the end of Cam Newton. It, it's going to be because no team is going to want to pick up a former number one overall pick who has injury histories and in in in, in general in, in the general consensus lacked the leader mentality that you needed and that you still need on clubs to win big games and to win conferences and to win division championships. Just call it camaraderie. Episode all about camaraderie here, folks. <laughs> uh, it kind of seems like, um, but yeah, you know, just you kind of wonder if you know these these highly touted guys. They they come out of college really highly touted. You know, you you wonder how much of a an impact it, it puts on you know an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kid. Yeah, and and they're. And I, for for the life of me, I, I I get why they leave college early, but at the same time, I still don't understand it too. Like, develop your body, get yourself as healthy as you can be, and then go to to the show. Because if you're not developing your body by the time you get there, you're you're gonna be in trouble. And and that's where the MLB does it right. They send them down to the minors, get them get them to develop their into their body, especially kids who come straight out of high school. I mean, they spend time in rookie ball. They spend time a lot. They spend a lot of time in single A, even possibly even more time in double A. And yeah. they're they're developing and they're getting used to their body and how they're gonna fill out and everything of that nature. Whereas in football, you get signed and you're playing pretty much week one if you're if you're a first round pick. Most of the time, you're playing week one, or if you're a quarterback and you have an experienced one, you're learning under them. And chances are you're taking snaps toward the end of the year if you're not playing if the team is out of a playoff run. A lot of times, even nowadays, teams that draft you know that use their first pick, first round pick on a quarterback, usually that quarterback's going to be starting i mean you look at this year's draft with justin herbert for the chargers um you know more recently you've had teams definitely prioritize quarterbacks you know us included with high picks and and you know brock osweiler uh don't really want to say his name but paxton lynch yikes um that's still a sour spot for a lot of broncos fans yeah, so you know, you get this highly talented sort of you know, vibe from those top guys, and a lot of times they're not even the real deal. So you know, getting those undrafted guys that you know that aren't you know about that money so so much and are about that prove it deal, you know, I think you can build a culture of people that that want to win and you know don't, aren't necessarily in it for the fame or the fortune. Because I mean, there's like an interesting sort of stat for you marshawn lynch saved every single paycheck he got from the nfl and he lived off of his skittles madden 
and his uh i think he was in one episode of of that uh netflix show the league at the time uh that fantasy football show yeah but he lived off his endorsements through skittles and madden wow whatever else he was doing saved his entirety entire salary no no wonder that that salary and he's basically he's basically giving like all that salary back to the town of oakland just he's a stand-up guy from he's doing over there and he's he's truly one of those guys who we were talking about in earlier episodes where he's making an impact in oakland getting kids to play football you know keeping them out of trouble like he's always that guy that's coming around and and hanging out with kids and and you'll see him on social media all the time with this stuff and it's just really cool you know to know that there's guys that are that have made it big like that but still never forget their roots and and it's that's a Creep. I never even knew that about Marshawn Lynch. I, I've always just seen him as the the outlandish, like brash dude who just talks a lot of smack on the field, but can back it up. Kind of like what Richard Sherman used to do. Um, and he was he was that player too, but he also had that reserved sort of side to him. And, and and no wonder the dude didn't give a rip about coming back or not. Like he was like, dude, I save all my money. What do you mean? I'm I'm good for life right now. Are you kidding me? So, but I mean that's good on him. And, and it's kind of funny that you're talking about Oakland and giving back to the city. Um. The the Oakland Oakland Athletics. I just had this pop up on my phone about forty minutes ago. Um, the uh, Oakland Athletic uh, Athletics third baseman. Uh, oh, I forget his first name, but his last name's Chapman. Um, Roldis. No, not a Roldis. So that's, that, that's, that's a pitcher. Yeah, that's a closer for the Yankees. Yeah, that's a closer. Um, yeah. Oh man, I can't remember. I can't remember his name, but I'll I'll probably remember it here in a second. Um, he he was talking about how um, they're having no fans as of yet, and he he straight up said, "I think it's I think it's going to play to our advantage. Our games are pretty quiet in in general." I'm like, "Whoa! I don't think you should probably be saying that about the your your home base where you're playing at." Matt Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman. That's exactly who it is. Yeah, and I I read that and kind of was like, "You sure you want to be saying that out loud?" Like that's kind of like Florida Panthers fan. Yeah. It's kind of it's like maybe like Panthers uh, player saying, "Yeah, we're used to no fans anyways. We don't care." So, it's like kind of Miami weird. Marlins, you know, like yeah. how they were for and still are. <laughs> and still are (laughs) exactly yeah it's like but you want to build that culture you know you want fans to come to games the nuggets did an amazing job of rebuilding that culture after you know the the carmelo anthony trade and you know that superstar leaving the city then building through the draft and getting guys like Jokic and murray and, and building that take that l on the way out culture that you know that home feistiness again you know it it shows in guys that, you know, had chips on their shoulders. Like Jamal Murray thought, you know, he was going to go one overall. He said every single team, he has a list of teams. It's it's the seven teams that he basically goes off against every year. If you sort of pay attention, it's hilarious. Um, yeah. And, but, and, and, and it's those guys who are going to build the right culture. And Mahomes seems like he's that kind of guy. He, he really does. And if, if he can stay – as good as he is and remain as humble as he is, he's going to find guys who want to come play with him, not for the money, but because they know they're going to play with a good dude and who's going to win them some games and, po- and probably another championship or two. And we'll just see, we'll see about the culture too. You know, he won the Super Bowl. We'll see how he reacts. If he gets this kind of woe is me attitude and then it might be the opposite. But, you know, if, if he keeps on doing what he's doing, like you're saying, 100% people are going to want to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, gives me as a Broncos fan, but also gives me a little bit of optimism that, you know, we're going to be that team that builds the chip on its shoulder. 
and and that's gonna, and that's gonna be your measuring stick in the AFC West. If you want to compete, you need to figure out how to beat the the Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs. And that's how it was for the longest time in the AFC West. Was how do you beat the Raiders or how do you beat the Broncos from the '90s through most of the 2000s? It was you had to beat those two teams to win the division. And now now you got to find a new blueprint of okay, we we got to beat the Chiefs. How are we gonna do that? Exactly, and it'll be it'll be fun to fun to watch it all unfold. Uh, most definitely. Um, also, kind of wanted to to get into uh, just some some college football too. Uh, on the other side of things, just some updates as to what's going on with with them because it's a little bit different. You know, you got schools, and, and these guys are actually students that you know a lot of these schools are really worried about. You know, the the pandemics, the just the issue of it being a pandemic, and. So it's really like we don't necessarily know 100% if we're going to have college sports. Yeah, and and it's and, and there's more news coming out daily. Uh, earlier in the week, the Ivy League, so Yale, um, Harvard, um, I'm probably missing another school. I think it's like Pennsylvania is in there somewhere, I think. Um, they, they just came out and said that, look, we're, we're not playing any sports in the fall. And Har- Harvard's not even having any students on their campus in the fall. So this is that was the first big news coming out of college sports this week that that the Ivy League said, nope, no fall sports. We we, we're just we're not doing it. And 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 now today the Big Ten came out and said, we're we're only going to play games in conference. So and and it's just it's it's really, really odd to me that that they're saying, look, we're going to do a conference only model this year, which so it's not going to be you're going to play. Oh, you're going to play the Big Ten. the in your east or your western conference i don't know exactly how they're split in the big 10 um seeing as how we're a, a, a pac-12 mountain west state um and it, it, the the really I, I think the interesting piece of this is that they're they're saying that it's it, it's okay for nebraska to fly out to i, I, I want to say it's rutgers i think is who they play in the big 10 i i think that's who it is that it, it's okay to go do that but you can't have Ohio State at Michigan. You can't have Iowa, Iowa State, which is the biggest rivalry in the Midwest. Like people are going to lose it if that game is not played. Like, like that, that 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 is what sets the state up for the whole year. That is the bragging rights game. And I mean, it's just I, I'm I'm concerned for for college sports as a whole. I'm concerned for high school sports as a whole. Um, and and you're missing out on games like. Um, like, like I've already said, Ohio State at Oregon, Penn State and Virginia Tech. That is a game that would be huge. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, just f- from my sort of viewpoint of things, too, it, when I was a kid growing up, you know, in, in Mississippi, too, there was just so much just rooted tradition in college football that, you know, happens on, you know, tailgate days. Like you can just tell, you know, the air is just, it's, there's a certain richness to it um, down there. It might be a little bit of a biased talk, but, uh, but and, and, you know, and, it's, you get te- like down there, you know, it's, it's, you're missing out on games like, Old Miss, you know, it'd be like Alabama, Auburn, like those types of caliber games and those rivalries, you know, those classic rivalries, you know, I, I always think of CU Nebraska in, in the nineties and lit in uh, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even for that matter, the, you know, the Rocky Mountain Showdown in, in the early 2000s, like those games were intense too. If you look yeah. at the, if you look at from probably 98 to about 2006, the, those Rocky Mountain Showdown games were always intense. They were always one, two score games. That's it. And, and like recently, it's been a little bit more lopsided, unfortunately. 
and a little bit more of a disparity. But there's been a couple years where you know CSU's put up a fight. There, there, there was that year where their their kicker, you know, couldn't couldn't kick a field goal to save his life, and they lost by by three in overtime. Yeah, um, I remember that game. You know, he he missed five field goals. So sometimes the yeah. Know, the scores of those games, and, and I spe- there was one where uh, I remember there was there was a whole bunch of issues with with the refereeing. Uh, you know, the pack they launched a whole investigation into the Pac-12 refs one year where, where CSU got beaten. I think it was like 31-17 or something. So, but there was a lot of plays at the beginning of that game where it was 10-10, you know, or 13-10 or whatever it was, where it was you know very weighted impacts i think they they called back two touchdowns on uh michael gallup for csu that year it was truly one of those things where it was like okay something weird's going on but so but yeah main point being you know those rivalry games are just so so much fun and a lot of times no matter how a team's doing you know i mean you look at you know the example of cu to csu you know cu uh you know, did well, you know, they did make the, the Pac-12 championship run that year. And then they also uh, had an okay year as far as their standards have been uh, this past year. But just looking at it, it's upsetting that, you know, especially with college football, so much of just the attractiveness of it is in those big rivalry matchups, those big money matchups. You know, that's the advertisement. Hey guys, what are you doing? We got Oregon and Wisconsin coming up as a, you know, as a non-conference game. So, you know, those are those big ticket games that the, that the NCAA also uses to make just a lot of money and cash. So, I think it's not going to be, you know, with all this stuff happening and, and these schools coming out and saying we'll only play certain schools because of coronavirus, it creates a little bit of a disparity almost, almost like a little bit of a discrimination factor maybe. If you're looking like a, a school like UCF maybe trying to schedule some of these bigger opponents now or something like that maybe. And, and, and the other piece that no one's talking about is these small schools like Appalachian State when like they, they get paid a pretty good amount of money to go play schools like Michigan, go play schools like Georgia and get their, and, and get their butts kicked. They, they get paid to go do that. And and now they're going to lose out on that revenue, which means, okay, every other sport's going to start losing out on revenue too. There's a massive trickle-down effect that, that no one's talking about. And and this, and it's not just football too. That, that's, that's, that's one thing I really want to stress is it's not just football. It's every fall sport in the Big Ten will be played in conference only, which which then again comes if we if we want to spin it back into college football, there's there, there's a there's a big there's a big question mark of you are you already have a hard enough decision choosing the CPF, yeah, or the CFP. How how are you going to do it now? If if you don't have these power these power matchups these, um. I'm going to take like ranking, a, yeah, ranking the, solidifiers almost. Yeah, you know? if if you don't have the the Clemson Ohio State game, like how is that going to affect who gets ranked where? Because there's a lot of teams in the ACC who aren't that good, and if Clemson just rolls over the ACC, like like what's it going to matter? If if Alabama rolls through the SEC and the SEC has a down year, but they don't play Michigan, they don't play Clemson, they don't they don't play Georgia, Virginia Tech, uh, insert team here. How are you going to know? It, it was the same in. And, and the schools who are going to get hurt by this are the small schools, especially the schools in the, in, in the Mountain West, like Air Force, like CSU, like Boise State, like Utah State, like 
Oh gosh, I can't. Oh yeah. Um, San yeah, Diego New Mexico, State. Yeah, San Diego State. Nevada. Yeah, I, All these schools are gonna get hurt by this. And you, you know, it's already almost that those smaller schools are not really used to experiencing, but like for, for the life of me, I always, I always think about UCF, you know, a really, really good, uh, you know, small, really small market, small school. Um, as far as, you know, the college football world goes going up against, uh, you know, people forget that they beat Auburn, the people, the only team in the nation that, 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 beat Alabama the national championships that year they they trounced Auburn and granted it, it was a bowl game and a lot of people say Auburn didn't get up to play yada 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 whatever but UCF smacked them it was like they put 50 on them and, on an SEC defense a team and you know and it's a SEC you know like a big bad SEC team I don't know you know you, you get certain teams will play each other better just because of matchups but it definitely goes against those smaller schools' interests because now you'll have those. That's just another factor to be rolled into all this uh, to be used against them, in my opinion. Yep. And, like, and, oh, we don't want to associate with you. You know, we want to. It's something of that nature, in my opinion. And 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 everything that you just and every statement you just made about UCF reminded me of how Boise State was treated in the late two thousands. Everything when when Boise State was on their runs when they had um Jared I want to say his last name was like Zidlansky or something so it was some crazy name um, as yeah. their quarterback and I also think like Kellen Kellen Moore yes, <clears throat> Kellen exactly. Moore uh it, it, you know that that bowl game against Oklahoma the Fiesta Bowl with the Statue of Liberty like all the you know everybody counted Boise State out until they beat them as until they beat them like that and and keep in mind the next year. It was Boise State and TCU. I want to say it was in the Fiesta Bowl again, and or it was a few years later. And that was a phenomenal game. And that's two schools who really don't get enough credit for how good they are. And, yeah, and, they're, and, and they're and they're playing up to the competition of each other. And because those schools have a chip on their shoulder, these schools who are in these non-power five conferences are the ones who are going to get hurt by these by by this change, especially in college football. Oh yeah, one hundred. 100 percent and and, the, and it's and already the it's already like you know the league has everything against them already you know mm-hmm. league has everything against them these these universities already jared a time and time again you know you get good teams like 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 the boise states you were talking about like the ucfs that i was talking about and they get smeared in the rankings week after week so at a certain point in time you know, UCF rattled off 26 straight wins against good quality opponents, mind you. You know, granted, some were cakewalks, but when the chips were down, they beat the good opponents, too. So it's like maybe we deserve to see that team in the national championship. You know, you just don't know those things. But the league isn't going to They'll basically be like, oh, you guys beat a team. Uh, we'll, we'll move you up spot in the rankings, but we'll rank you at 20 so that only you'll only be at maybe the top 10 when the season ends they'll never get a preseason ranking those teams they'll never get a preseason ranking above like 15 in my in my opinion and, and you'll and, always have the teams the mid-market mid-major you know like the like the teams like texas if they had a good year they'll take up those spots and you know a lot of times those teams have worse off years than the schools that we're talking about yeah, and and this was a bad example, but you get my drift. Well, like, no, no, it's a, no, it's a great example no. because I what you're saying is exactly what happened with Boise State after they beat Oklahoma. 
and I, I use Boise State as an example because they were the easiest example I can think of because when, when Boise State, after they beat Oklahoma, the next year they come in, they're ranked five in the BCS Bowls. As in a preseason spot, they're ranked five. AP ranked them six. And they come out and they lay an egg in the first game and they get dropped all the way down. Like, like, like they got throttled and they couldn't, get, they couldn't recover. The, the, the college football playoff is made to accentuate the power five schools and hurt the lower schools. That in, in my opinion, that's what I view it as. If you don't play in the SEC, you don't play in the ACC, you don't play in the Big Ten, you don't play in the Pac-12, and you don't play in the Big 12, you are in trouble. Oh, yeah. You, know, you look at other conferences, Mountain West, uh, those Ivy League schools, even you know other ones too uh conference usa comes to mind there's been some really good teams at a conference usa the, the, the american conference where ucf um, is american conference too yeah uh, you know those conferences as a whole will hurt because of this and there's a lot of people that were always pushing that those mega conference deals you know where every school is included in a power conference quote unquote and every school will have a legit shot to to compete as long as you're fbs um eventually that's what you know that's what i would like to see happen but just because of all the money that's involved and you get those flagship universities like alabama and ohio state and clemson and you know probably to a certain extent you know powerhouse schools like lsu uh just you know really storied you know you could throw usc in there if you want uh really storied programs that you know you can't really knock but at the same time there's probably a lot of talented squads out there that that could maybe give you know these top teams a run for their money. You even see it all the time when Alabama schedules cupcakes, and there's times where those cupcakes actually put up a decent fight against them, depending on the year. You never know. You have a team full of rugged seniors that could be that could be the top five ranked freshman football landscape. Yeah, and, and 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 another thing that's not even talked about too is it it it's gonna hurt a lot of, and like we said with the rivalries, it's gonna hurt the rivalries really bad. But it's gonna hurt those schools like like CU and like CSU who who really do rely on those rivalry games, and because those are huge money makers. And and this year was the first year where it was going back to the schools, and it was gonna be played um at at the new canvas at canvas stadium yeah. this year. And I I mean I had plans on going. It was gonna be something fun to go do this year because. My fiance is a CSU grad and alumni, so um, uh, we we are going to go up and go check that game out because I've never been to a, a showdown game in my twenty six years of living in Colorado. I'm a horrible person. Oh, um, that's weird. Come on, <laughs> I, I never got around to it. I, I always watched it on TV because we had a guy, um, my my dad coached a guy who played who went and played at CSU and then went to the NFL. So yeah, it's just unfortunate to see i i could kind of see it coming just because of the disparity of the coronavirus in general and and just universities responses to that already just because they're delaying classes uh you know my cousin's trying to get back up to csu and and he you know it's it's a delayed start so i hope they figure it out but it's not looking good uh just kind of getting into some uh some closing topics here uh some big news this week as far as just out of the Avs uh, training camp. Why goes. do we always talk hockey? <laughs> I love talking hockey. I, I, it's, I it's industry. You know, we both worked in the industry. It's uh, true. It's, it's always something I fall back to 
but you, you got i mean it's the only it's one of the you know especially getting getting after that at, you know this coming after that depressing sort of college football update it's going so well with yes. everything and and i i think you're seeing a difference especially in a lot of the leagues of who wants to play and who's just kind of like, eh, I mean, I guess we'll play for you guys and your sake. And the and this is no knock on any other league. This is just my personal opinion. And I'm obviously very biased because I'm a huge hockey fan and I can kind of give a rats about whatever else is going on. And <laughs> and it, it just, it feels like the NHL Players Association and the NHL and the owners are trying to get this together and say, look, we understand this is a huge issue going on right now, but we want this for our fans and we want this for you guys and so you guys can still compete for a cup this year. Oh, yeah. As far as that fan service, folks, uh, let me tell you, it is on its way. I mean, as far as August 1st goes, just here in a couple weeks, we'll we'll have the potential seeing you know on august 1st the nuggets the avalanche and the rockies play um the nhl also released their their sort of viewing schedule with those games being played in edmonton and ontario that two-hour time difference spacing games uh i think is four six and eight p.m uh, is 12, what they were saying 12, four and eight 12 four, 12, four eight. 12 four and eight 12 four and eight and times eastern obviously yeah yeah but just i mean you, you got to look at that as as a Hockey watchers dream, right? I mean, Dude, if so if much you hockey. Think to I'm not going to be glued to my television <laughs> or glued to my phone on August 1st. You're crazy. Like this, well, yeah. this uh, is gonna... going to hold NBC yeah. Sports and NBC. Like it, it's going to grip it like a glove, and it's not going to let go. You're going to turn on NBC, and you're going to see, um, you're going to see a, a, a first round matchup. You're going to turn on NBCSN. You're going to, and you're going to see. Around around Robin matchup and in the way it's spaced out looks so it looks so appealing to a hockey fan's eye because the average hockey game lasts about two hours and fifteen minutes. So yeah. theoretically, you start the Eastern Conference game at Toronto at twelve noon, ten o'clock local, and the game starts about fifteen minutes left. The game in Edmonton will kick off on whatever NBC network it will be on. And March Madness for hockey, man! It, it is what it is going to be. March Madness for hockey, and I am all about it but uh oh i don't know i'll, I'll think of something <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it's 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 really good i mean and we're just about four days out from camp's beginning um we're, we're waiting on the nhlpa to vote on the new cba and return to play process um that that closes tomorrow when this when this podcast drops on july 10 and they're going to announce their official decision as well which uh, everything i've seen and i've read is that everyone's in we're, we're all in on this and um in, in that new cba is the return to the olympics pending a deal with the international olympic committee so that that's it's good news on multiple levels here which is which is what we need right now we need live sports back and while and i I saw something from um the guy who does the in studio for the eagles he's a friend of mine on social media and everyone and and you're going to relate to this as well everyone who's complaining that saying we want sports back we need sports back you're right but there's some of us who work in sports that this is our livelihoods and we need it back just as bad as you guys yeah, uh, and you know, it's just one. It's it, it's just I'm so excited, just personally, to 
have all this being back in, in such a big way to, um, you know, especially those, those Olympic updates, like you were saying, are, are absolutely huge too, just for, for the sport of hockey, you know, just in general. Um, and I think that, you know, other leagues can kind of look to the NHL as that beacon of, hey, we can get through this. We're showing you guys that it's not all about money. It's not all about politics. We just want to play hockey and our players want to play hockey. And we're going to get it done safely. And these players aren't going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a hell of a, of a, of a workload just because of the amount of games. But, you know, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, the leagues need to look to the NHL is what I'm trying to say. Um, because they've just done everything, everything textbook as far as, things ready to play so. pr management 101 and, and brand management 101 they have succeeded very well on that and and the other thing that the nhl uh, has not officially said obviously because they don't know just yet they're they're saying tentatively that december 1st will start next season so we could literally end hockey in october with the with the raising of the stanley cup and come back by december 1 and have games again uh, that would be amazing and and and, and with and, and now we're starting to see professional teams ask for variances to have fans in their buildings. So it, it begs the question of if, let's say the rates do slow down like, like they were previously. If the coronavirus yeah. rates start to slow down again, do, do you see the NHL possibly saying, okay, Western Conference Final, Eastern Conference Final, go back to your home buildings, 25% fans, if you can get it approved by your state? Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, I mean, even even if it's the Stanley Cup Finals, I I mean, is here's my question: Is it any different for you and I to go outside of Pepsi Center because we we couldn't secure a ticket somehow? We don't know enough connections, whatever it might be. Um, if we go down to Pepsi Center and they have a blow up screen and they're and they're promoting this watch party, and you're still you're still required to stay like six feet apart from everybody, blah blah blah, all that. But if if they give you that option, would you go? Oh, yeah. look at it. Just, uh, I mean, for me, you know, I'd be really careful, but I, I would definitely, I, I'd want to go. Uh, you know, if I, if I could see live hockey again this year, that'd be, that would be amazing. Uh, and if it's for the Stanley Cup Finals or you know the Western Conference Finals, like you were saying, um, all the better. Yeah, and like, and I, I, the Rockies put in a variance to have up to ten thousand or. 10, 10 to 12,000 people at Coors, which is about 25% of the capacity um, that gets it's, submitted to the uh, state and local health departments to see if it'll get approved. If it does, the, the, the key is though, it's, it's, it's me, it's me giving a season ticket holders first. That, that, that's the, that's the full key is that you have to have the season tickets and you, you, you honestly, you just got to hope you have, you know, someone who has season, season tickets to get back in. And, and while that sucks, every game's going to be broadcast on AT&T sports network. Now with the Avs, th- this is where it gets a little tricky because Comcast isn't, or Comcast and Dish Network both don't have altitude. And if they're going to do the first round games, pe- people want to listen to Mark Mosier. Honestly, like I love listening to Mosier and Peter McNabb on on the calls for playoff games because they're always just so intense and there's just so much passion behind it. And I, and it is that homerism that you don't get from NBC. And it, it's it's the same thing of the guys in Boston, Jack Edwards in Boston. You get those. You want that homer get, part. Those iconic moments in be served 
mm-hmm. you know, for everyone to enjoy and, and look back on. You know, especially for the people that have been living, you know, in those cities, and, and those guys have all the love for those for their respective cities in the world. You know, it, it's definitely just that family sort of camaraderie kind of theme that that we just keep on sort of coming back to. And and, and I know it's a little bit different because this is radio, but but when I when I think of iconic radio calls, um, whether it's uh, Broncos. Or Avs, I, I don't really listen to Nuggets radio broadcasts. I listened to them last year during the playoffs. They were really, it, it gripped me when I was driving home. It, it was gripping just to listen to the the call on Altitude Sports Radio. But when, yeah. when you when you think of highlight packages, and especially like like when you think of the first two Super Bowls the Broncos won, you, you don't think of Al Michaels calling one of those games or John Madden being on color commentary. You, you think of Dave Logan on 850 KOA making those calls. And with the Avs, you think of um, Connor, uh, Connor McGahee, making the now infamous "All Hail Kale" call when Kale McCarr scores his his first goal against Calgary in Game Three. It, these oh, are yeah. all things that you don't that that radio personalities do, and and that's why I love Mosier so much. He took his radio and took it to TV. He he hasn't changed who he is. He lets he lets the game breathe still because he's got to get Peter McNabb in there, but he lets it breathe and. He's a he's a very skilled commentator, and, and oh, yeah. I, he he had some amazing his Nathan McKinnon how he just drags out Ma McKinnon. He uh, ev- everybody hates it, and I love it. I'm like he didn't change who he was because he went to TV. He stayed true to who he was, and and that's that that's why it's concerning that Comcast and Dish people may not have altitude for these first round games, which are iconic in building. It, it helps build that brand recognition that the abs really need right now it really does and i'm one of those guys where i i really just hope they they work a deal out and realize that you have two very good denver sports teams right now and the nuggets and the avalanche and you know their gain their viewership came mostly from altitude and you had people like me who would sometimes stream the games just because it was it was convenient and uh, it, it, you know, didn't necessarily have cable at the time, but it, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate just because those those bigger corporations like the you know like NBC and, and like Altitude, they're you know they're after basically just a money grab after the success of the teams, and I hope that you know that they come to an agreement. Uh, we are running a little bit over, so was there any? Any sort of final thoughts you wanted to add before we wrap this up here, Jared? So one last closing thing I'm going to bring up because um, we keep talking about COVID and the delays in sports. Um, it just came out today that New Mexico announced that they're going to delay um, the New Mexico High School um, Athletic Association is going to delay the restart for football and uh, boys and girls soccer this fall. Um, uh, other other notable states that have done this are uh, Washington, Vermont, and Georgia. Um it, it, it's it's concerning because there was no spring season, obviously. So the seniors who graduated didn't get a spring season. Like like I I can't imagine not having winter season my senior year. Um, oh yeah, like that would have been devastating, honestly. Um, and 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 the the thing is that we don't know how it looks like for um in Colorado either. And and the people at Chassa are are doing a phenomenal job. They're trying to keep everybody in the loop. And and they just get bombarded with questions day after day after day on Twitter and on Facebook and every social media. 
and they're, they're just like and they're trying to explain look this is a very fluid situation and we don't we don't know yet and we're still waiting and now we're starting to see these high school organizations saying look we're gonna have to delay this and and that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see if a lot of states follow this tennessee was supposed to vote on it today and they actually just pushed it back to next week because um, yeah. they want to they want to see how the rates are going and how the how the hospitalization rates and the infection rate and everything else like that is going and with with, with the possible rejump uh re, with the new spike possibly happening in September October area which is right in the heat of football season especially here in Colorado that's week oh gosh it's probably like week four five six area in that first couple weeks um yeah. it, it's and that's when you start playing a lot of your league games it, it, it really does it, it really does worry me that there there might not be a fall season for high school sports yet but i i, I don't know what do you think uh me kind of look at it a different way when i saw what was happening with the ncaa i was like there's really no chance for high school sports i mean you got to remember that a lot of times you know these especially you know these sophomores juniors senior they're all living with their families in this in this pandemic you know type period it's 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 still high school i mean the the fact that you're not getting high school sports is it, it is going to be unfortunate for for those for the athletes that you know didn't get like that chance like you were saying that that's awful because i mean for me it, you know i mean you, you playing soccer for all those years and running the track too you know it, it was a, it was a lot of fun and but basically when the news dropped about the NCAA and the fact that a much more powerful organization than, you know, like Chassa and things like of that nature are, you know, disbanding their seat, basically don't know what's going to happen. I, I kind of thought that, you know, once these states start saying no seasons, it's going to be a really quick succession. Um, unfortunate as that may as that may seem. And and I don't think it's going to come but, down from the national federation either. It's going to be left to every state association to individually do what they think is best. And and I think that's the right way to approach it. It's yeah. it's just like the president not coming out and saying no, nope, we're going into a full country lockdown. It's like no, we'll let, let the states kind of figure it out. And and that's how it should be. But um, and and forgive me if if I can't remember this correctly. I, you and I did play soccer together in high school, didn't we? For for a year, yeah. I thought I thought we uh, did. I think it was my our sophomore year. Sophomore or junior is one of two. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, sophomore year, J- JV soccer, sophomore yep. year. Oh man, good times. Um, I'm, I'm going to quickly jump back to this as your closing thought. Did you think of your Joe Sackick memory? Oh, there's so many. I, I was, I had it in the back of my mind. Um, for me, let's see. So I mean, I could do like a whole podcast on 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 Joe, uh, really. But um, I mean, you can say the trade you were talking about made. with. I mean, for you know, in two thousand one, you were talking, you know, him beating uh, Brodeur game seven, uh, the cup against the Devils. Um, I, I mean. I got to think about in 1999 when he was just as far as just, you know, sort of iconic moments for me when him and Forsberg <laughs> combined, Jared, it was something nasty. I mean, they, they combined for, I think a thousand points one season and 1500 points the next season, basically. Um, 
but but I mean his his fifteen hundredth point it came on that uh, I think it was October twenty fifth two thousand six, um, and he's just you know he's the eleventh player to ever reach that milestone in the league. Um, just a really really just awesome feat in, in my opinion yeah and and we can i mean like i said we go on a whole podcast about i mean how how clutch he was in overtime games he he has the nhl record for most playoff overtime goals even like yeah. you want to talk about a guy who personified captain clutch that is joe sack 100 percent. i mean yeah record eight overtime playoff goals and do you, do you remember? Doesn't do you, even do you remember do, his last doesn't one? Even, doesn't even doesn't even do it justice. It doesn't even really do it justice. No. And, and do you remember Sad. his last one too? I mean, how could you forget? His very his very last one for for those of you who don't possibly remember, it was oh gosh, I want to say it was the two thousand nine or twenty ten season. They were in the first round of the playoffs against uh, Minnesota, and. It was 2010 because they went on to play the Sharks after. It was 2010 and Forsberg was making his comeback too. And it was, I want to say it was game three or four and they were in Minnesota and he just collects the puck in the low slot and scores to, to actually break the record and take the record over. Um, and that was just, I, I, I remember that. And cause it was a turning point of the series too. So like, like we said, we go on for a whole nother hour um, talking about Joe Sackick, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Uh thanks so much for for listening to uh to our podcast here uh hope you guys have a a great weekend uh good rest of your uh you know good good early week as well um get out there you know have some fun uh you know take some time think about some things just enjoy your day and uh we'll see you guys back here same bat time same bat place next week I'm trying to get more and I've been in the moment I've been in the zone and I'm moving alone I don't pick up the phone when my family call I've been doing it wrong and I don't know what's happening Trying to get what I've just been imagining Getting close and I've just been examining All of the fictions the game has been packaging I've been keeping real I've been doing what I feel I've been out here trying to kill Every beat I know I will Everything I'm working on Every night another song They've been quiet all alone They gon' notice when I'm gone I, I, I come from a town where most of the people Are so close-minded they go into school and they work in a job, but they don't even like it. I won't be put in a box. Nobody telling me what I should rock. Nobody telling me what I should drop. Cause I do what I want and just know I don't stop. Recording till four in the morning. They snoring. I'm pouring my soul into every story. I'm writing, producing. I mix it. I master. I'm building my craft and I'm not looking back. I've been going doing things I want to do when I want to. Everybody want to get a win, but they not do. Everybody want to copy you, but they not do. Everybody want to copy you, but they not do. My mom is 81 and she's having trouble walking, taking care of herself and remembering things. There are expectations. My mom feels I'm her daughter and I should be able to do for her. Sometimes the help they need is more than we can do alone. Care makes it easy to find senior caregivers who live nearby and know how to help. I love my mom, but I, I need some help. The best decisions are made with care. Find help for your mom or dad at care.com.